Today's episode is brought to you by the Calvary Global Network International Conference. The theme of the 2021 CGN International Conference is the way of Jesus. This past year has presented challenges that transcend society and culture, but it didn't change the mission of God to rescue his alienated creation via the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we press into the way of Jesus, we want to approach culture the way that Jesus did. Concepts like human dignity, justice, wisdom, and power are at the forefront of conversations in our culture like never before. Are we understanding and engaging in this dialogue from a worldly definition of these ideas, or do we operate according to the model, message, and method that Jesus gave us in the Gospels? Joining us this year as we dialogue about the way of Jesus are Gavin Ortland, author and missiologist Alan Hirsch, John Jenkins, pastor of First Baptist Church in Glen Arden, Maryland, author and YouTube host Beckett Cook, missionary and Bible College Director Pam Markey, and many more. Sessions will feature live dialogues and Q&As with the speakers, and our interactive, in-person, and online specialized training tracks focus on various aspects of ministry leadership, including the posture of the church in an age of hate, the way of Jesus in a sexually broken culture, spiritual health for spiritual leadership, women in the way of Jesus, and more. The CGN International Conference will be online and in person at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa from June 28th through July 1st. Registration is open to pastors, church leaders, lay leaders, volunteers, men, women, anyone called to serve Christ and His Kingdom. To register and for more information, visit our website at conference.calvarychapel.com. That's conference.calvarychapel.com. We hope to see you there. with women worth knowing. Yes, we are. And I've got three really exciting women to talk about. And I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to make it through. In one no, episode? Okay, I we're going to feel it out here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's another medley, like we did that other medley right. of women. Because these women are so important. All okay. three are Christians. Yes, right? which is good. Yeah, but all That's... three are African-American Christians. Uh, and all neat. three of these women overcame great odds as well as racial discrimination and sexism to become doctors. doctors. Yes. That's right. And not only that, these were like some of the first female African-American physicians in the United States. Wow, that's neat. And I I love the fact that they're Christians. You know, that's Yeah, I mean, that's huge. And, you know, that was part of what drew each of these women to be doctors is because they had a passion for Jesus Christ and a passion to help others. That's like so many that we've talked about. That was their really driving force, wasn't it? Really, yes. And the first one is, her name is Rebecca Davis Lee Crumpler. (laughs) This woman is so amazing. She's the first African-American woman to graduate from the New England Female Medical College. In fact, she's the only African-American woman to graduate from the New England Female Medical College because a few years after she graduated, the school couldn't afford itself and it closed down. But she's the first recorded African-American female doctor in the United States. And she was born February 8th in 1831 in Christiana, Delaware, to Absalom, don't you love that? Absalom Davis and Matilda Weber. Now, it's not sure if they were ever married or not, because in those days, slaves and ex-slaves weren't always allowed to get married. Right. But she was raised by an aunt who cared for sick and poor, and it is her 
aunt that influenced her to seek a medical career. And here's a quote from Rebecca. It may be well to state here that having been reared by a kind aunt in Pennsylvania whose usefulness with the sick was continually sought, I early conceived a liking for and sought every opportunity to relieve the suffering of others. Later in life, I devoted my time when best I could to nursing as a business, serving under different doctors for a period of eight years, most of the time at my adopted home in Charleston, Middlesex County, Massachusetts. From these doctors, I received letters commending me to the faculty of the New England Female Medical College, whence, four years afterward, I received the degree of Doctress of Medicine. That's because they, they didn't know how to, you know, Doctor of Medicine, you know, so Doctress. Doctress. I was going to say, that's an interesting word choice there. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's like you used to hear of actress and actors, and yeah, lately I'm yeah. only hearing of actors. So I yeah, think, I just kind of group it all. Yeah. And I think something like it was probably called Doctress, and then it became Doctor, you mm. know, because this is, you know, very early yeah. in the time when women first were allowed to oh, become yeah. physicians. Yeah. So by 1852, she had moved to Charleston, Massachusetts, where she worked as a nurse for eight years. This is how she was learning the skill is just by doing it and because she just had a heart for people. And a lot that she had learned was from her aunt because her aunt was always going to people's houses and she was always helping anyone who was infirmed or in trouble. So it's during this time that she married her first husband, Wyatt Lee. Wyatt Lee was a widow and a former slave, and he had a young son from his first marriage. The young son was six years old, and they married on April 19, 1852. But only a year after they were married, Wyatt's seven-year-old son died. And it's believed that it was the death of this beloved boy that cemented Rebecca's determination to become a doctor, not just yeah. a nurse, but to become a doctor. So right after this, she began to attend medical college, and to earn her way through medical college, she taught at different schools. She was very intelligent, so she taught at different elementary schools and schools for black children. Yes. Her first husband, Wyatt, died April 18, 1863, just a day before their 11th wedding anniversary. Wow. And Rebecca's in medical college at this time. Rebecca graduated in 1864 after four years of intense training, coursework, thesis, and oral exams, and she was awarded the degree, ta-da, of Doctress of Medicine. Doctress again, right at the end of the Civil War. Very interesting timing. Very, very <laughs> interesting timing, isn't it? In fact, it was said that it was even harder for her at this time because there were a lot of um, mixed emotions oh, yeah. about a Black woman being in college, a Black woman seeking to be a doctor, and she was the first as I said, first black woman, African-American woman to go to this all-female college. That is actually a good point because, you know, the North was abolitionist, but I think sometimes they didn't think about how that's actually going to play out. Like, right. if you really want abolition, right. is this really, you know, what you want? So right. it'd be hard to be comfortable. Right. I agree. She practiced first in Boston before feeling called to serve, and I love this, as an missionary to the mm. emancipated black slaves in Richmond, Virginia. So she had heard that the white doctors in Richmond, Virginia would not uh, help anyone who had been a former slave, any of right. the Virginia very mm -hmm. much, yeah, anti. Yeah. And so these African-Americans who had been slaves had already gone through so much and had gone through the war, were suffering and dying. So she decided that as a missionary, she would go there with the gospel and 
with, you know, the arms of Jesus Christ that she would minister to these people, both mm-hmm. medically. Uh, she was an ardent Baptist, like ardent, like, you know, <laughs> Baptists she, were awesome. <laughs> she, she, yes. Yeah. So many of the doctors refused, though, to acknowledge her prescriptions because one, she was a female and two, she was a black doctor. Right. So you had to have like someone second your prescription to get it filled or, you know, what she would tell these people to do. Secondly, many of the doctors would not take her advice, wouldn't listen to her. The black physicians wouldn't listen to her because she was a female. So the black males wouldn't even listen to her. So it's this double, um, (laughs) it is this double kind of whammy against her. And so uh, while there, she married her second husband, Arthur Crumpler, on May 24th, 1865 in St. John, New Brunswick. Now it's interesting because, you know, New Brunswick obviously is part of Canada, right? But Remember, he was a former slave, and he was a runaway slave. So Mm. it's believed that he had run away to Canada, and they got married somehow in Canada. And he later, he also joined the Union Army as a blacksmith. So he'd served in the Union Army, but they got married in Canada. That's interesting. And they were both, again, ardent Baptists, and some say she met him at church, and (laughs) that's how they got acquainted. So Rebecca viewed her work in Virginia as missionary service, a proper field, this is her quote, for real missionary work, and one that would present ample opportunities to become acquainted with the disease of women and children. During my stay there, nearly every hour was improved in that sphere of labor. The last quarter of the year, 1866, I was enabled to have access each day to a very large number of the indigent and others of different classes in a population of over 30,000 colored people. Now, what I love about that is that she didn't say, oh, there were so many people that I was serving every day and it was so hard. She's like, what an opportunity. I got the chance to minister to these people, to give medicine, to help in their healing. And then also I was learning about all these different afflictions <laughs> through doing it. I love it. That's like Ida Scudder going, yes. seeing 200 patients a day or whatever. And okay. Yes. you know, <laughs> And that's how she is. Like yeah. she wants to treat as much of the population wow. as possible. And while there, she joined the organization called the Freedmen's Bureau and other charity and missionary organizations to care for the freed African-Americans. So she was supported by, because the people that she ministered to couldn't afford to pay her because they were freed black slaves and there was extra. I think the thing is, is we think emancipation, everybody embraces, yeah. you know, the African-Americans as equals. But no, it, it was like easy. the prejudice got worse against them. Especially in the South. Oh, yeah. Especially they were in the bitter South. in the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she had to be supported by the Freedmen's Bureau and other charity and missionary organizations because these people, they couldn't find jobs, they couldn't find work. And so she was very active with these organizations. And she wrote this, at the close of my service in that city, I returned to my former home, Boston, where I entered into the work with renewed vigor, practicing outside and receiving children in the house for treatment, regardless of any measure of remuneration. In other words, she's not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she moves back to Boston and begins to open her own practice of medication, but most of the people cannot pay medication. Medicine? Open her own yeah. medical medicinal yes. yeah. <laughs> practice. So she and her husband, Arthur, had one child, a daughter named Lizzie Sinclair Crumpler. 
And they moved back to Boston, as I said, in 1883. And there, Rebecca began to uh, write a book called A Book of Medical Discourses. And as I mentioned before, Rebecca is the only, the first woman, first black female physician in the United States. But she also has the distinction of being the first woman to graduate from the New England uh, Women's College of Medicine. And thirdly, she is the first African-American let alone a woman, to publish a book of medical discourses. Interesting. Wow. And it's part autobiographical in that she tells her story and what made her want to become a doctor and how she became a doctor. But it also features practical advice on treating illnesses in children and women, uh, drawing from her own medical experience. And she talks about how to diagnose it. She has homeopathic remedies as well as, you know, these are the drugs that you need. And it's still considered to this day a great book on medicine and problems and how to diagnose. So asked about her marriage, she gave this bit of advice, which I absolutely love. Continuing the careful routine of the courting days until it is well understood between the two. In other words, she says, keep treating your spouse as if you've just met and just you know, we're just dating and <laughs> until he starts doing it back, reciprocates. Right. And that's how you keep the marriage alive. She died in 1895 at the age of 64. And her book on medical discourses, again, is the first book written by an African-American. She survived and persevered through prejudice and injustice to become a doctor and to serve others in the name of Jesus. She and her husband, Arthur, were active in their church, which was the 12th Baptist Church, uh, where Arthur was a trustee. So here she is. She's the first female doctor. She's this amazing woman. And her gravesite and her husband's gravesite, she's buried uh, next to Arthur, are really unremarkable. There's just like a, a slight little plaque. So these people found out about who she was and they're like, oh, she's amazing. And actually the uh, Boston Freedom Trail goes to her house. Oh, in it does. Boston. I love the Freedom Trail. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. She's one of the stops on it, one of the highlights. Yeah. And so they said, look, she's one of ours. She's a Bostonian. She needs to be remembered because a lot of people wanted to see you know, where her grave was. She's buried at Fairview Cemetery in Fairview, Massachusetts, which is right near Boston. Mm -hmm. By 2020, the year of COVID, enough funds have been raised uh, to make a gravestone marker for her that spoke of her birth and her service and what she did, her accomplishments. And they placed these granite stones on both her husband and her graves. And so that's really, really Just last year. That's really cool. I know. Something good out of 2020. One good thing happened. (laughs) Yes. Because COVID was a hard year. It was a rough year all around in many ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's good to hear about something Mm. good that happened. So I was so excited. I was so excited to to hear about this woman. I had no idea about Rebecca Crumpler. And then to find out that she's this ardent Baptist and she sees herself as a mm. missionary was mm-hmm. super exciting. Well, now, the <laughs> second woman, Rebecca Cole. Oh, another Rebecca. Okay. Another Rebecca. She's also an African-American woman. And She is the second woman to become a physician in the United States, the second African-American woman to become a physician um, in the United States. Now, it's believed that the two Rebeccas opened the door because between 1865 and the turn of the century, like 1920, over 115 
African-American women became physicians. Wow. So they yeah. really opened the trailblazers. The door. Yeah. Yes, I love trailblazers. <laughs> so on Rebecca, there's very little information on her, and there's no pictures of her except for a sketch. Huh. And so Rebecca Cole, unlike Rebecca Crumpler, she never married. She was born in Philadelphia on March 16, 1948, and her father, according to census records, because that's how they had to try to find out the information about her, mm. was a laborer and her mother was a laundress, and she was the second of four children. She attended the Institute for Colored Children, which was the only institute in its time in Philadelphia to allow boys and girls to attend school together. I mean, that was Huge. Yeah. And Cole received her diploma and a $15 award for her excellence in the classics. So she's a bright girl. And I guess that's yeah. like a, not a scholarship, but, you know, yeah. a prize. Absolutely. After graduation, she enrolled in the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. This college, interestingly enough, was started by Quaker abolitionists and temperance reformers in 1850 under the name Female Medical College of Pennsylvania and was the world's first medical college for women. Not surprising. It was Quaker. Yes. And not only that, remember, uh, Elizabeth Blackwell was a Quaker. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how hard it was for her to get educated and then for her sister. But after, again, trailblazers. And, you know, Elizabeth was also had been in Philadelphia. Her sister had been in Philadelphia. So, oh, yeah, Philadelphia Medical. I remember all those ladies that went yes, through there. Yep. Yes. And she tried to get an education in Philadelphia, but at that time there was um, no college. So um, she uh, graduated in 1867, and her thesis was titled, tell me this is an intelligent, The Eye and Its Appendages. Whoa. Can you imagine? Yikes. And, and this is, this is again, this is 1867. That's really amazing. Um, so she became the first black woman to graduate from the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. And again, the second black female physician in the United States. Her roommates, 30 years later, recalled some of the prejudices that Rebecca had to face and how these same prejudices almost derailed her medical career. It was so hard sometimes for her to attend uh, her classes because of the prejudice against her. However, yeah. she trained with Anne Preston, who was the dean of that college. And Anne Preston was dedicated to seeing Rebecca graduate. And, so neat. And to receive the honors and the the justice due yeah, her justice. because she was a good brilliant. Name. Yeah. And so, and that might have something to do with the fact that when she decided to intern and train, guess, well, she went to New York and guess where she went. In New York? In New oh, York. Florence Nightingale? No. no. that's the nursing one. <laughs> close, close, close. A friend of Florence Nightingale. Remember our friend Elizabeth Blackwell? Yes, yes. So remember how Elizabeth uh, Blackwell had started the infirmary for uh, women? Yes, that's and, right. Okay. Right? So she... Ended up going to serve with Elizabeth Blackwell and Elizabeth Blackwell's sister, Emily Blackwell. Mm. And um, it was called the New York Infirmary for Indigent Women and Children. Maybe you remember it was yep. on Bleecker Street yeah, I remember in New that. York. At this infirmary, she discovered a passion for helping the poor. And her attentions really turned towards the poor. Because I don't know if you remember this from when we looked at Elizabeth Blackwell. But Elizabeth Blackwell had started a tenement house service for disease prevention. And remember, Elizabeth Blackwell had been friends with the 
Florence Florence Nightingale. Nightingale, And they talked about how important hygiene was. Mm -hmm. And if they could only get in the houses and teach people hygiene, they could prevent most of the diseases. In fact, there was a name, and I can't remember uh, what it was called, but it had to do with the basements and how dirty the basements were in New York. And so Elizabeth Blackwell had this whole plan on how to clean out the basements and to keep them clean to yeah. prevent diseases, especially keep them free of mold. Well, I was going to say mold-related diseases, mm-hmm. yeah, which is really pretty insightful because a lot of people wouldn't have even thought to, you know, consider mold as a problem. Right, and mold um, suppresses the immune system yeah, big time. really badly. So anyway, um, Elizabeth Blackwell then put Rebecca Cole um, in charge of this service, and she made her the sanitary visitor. And she was there to give simple, practical instruction to poor mothers on the management of infants and the preservation of health of their families. Blackwell described Cole as an intelligent, young, colored physician who carried on this work with tact and care. In fact, Elizabeth, when she wrote her autobiography, featured a section on Cole. And this is what she wrote. In addition to the usual departments of hospital dispensary, which included the visiting of poor parents at their own homes, we established a sanitary visitor. This post was filled by one of our assistant physicians whose special duty it was to give simple, practical instruction to poor mothers on the management of infants and the preservation of the health of their families. An intelligent young colored physician, Dr. Cole, who was one of our resident assistants, carried on this work with tact and care. Experience of its results serve to show that the establishment of such a department would be a valuable addition to every hospital. And I find that interesting because we remember that Elizabeth Blackwell's father was an ardent abolitionist. Yeah. So wouldn't it be like Elizabeth Blackwell to bring Rebecca Cole in and say, look, you're our equal. Yep. We are so excited to work with you and yeah. beside you. And set a precedent, mm-hmm. like moving forward. Like, hey, <laughs> this is the way forward here. Yeah, because we're all created yep. equal. So after serving with Elizabeth Blackwell, the Blackwell sisters, uh, Cole moved to South Carolina for a time before she moved back to Philadelphia. Now, as I said before, there's not a lot known about Rebecca Cole and even about Rebecca Crumpler that the information is very slight because of the prejudice in those days. Yeah. It was almost as if the greater public did not want to acknowledge that black women were brilliant, intelligent, could be doctors, could serve in such an incredible way. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that really makes Rebecca Crumpler's book that much more remarkable. That she was actually able to get a book published. I mean, that's a big deal. It is. And and she gained the re, you know the respect of her colleagues too, yeah. which was really incredible. So now Rebecca Cole moves back to Philadelphia. And in 1873, she opened a woman's directory center. And this is of her own initiative to provide medical and legal services to destitute women and children. So what she realized is that there were a lot of uh, black women who were being abandoned by their husbands and had no way of supporting themselves. So she wanted to help them out, um, to train them, to help them get jobs. She said she especially wanted to help the children. Mm. 
1899, she became the superintendent of a home for the Association of the Relief of Destitute Colored Women and Children in Washington, D.C. And the annual report wrote of her that she had all the qualities essential to such a position. And listen to these qualities. She had ability energy, experience, and tact. So I love that because both— Bedside manner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and both Elizabeth Blackwell and this report commented on her tact, mm. which meant she was careful yeah. in how she addressed people, a good bedside manner, mm-hmm. so to speak. And then this is what they said of her. Dr. Cole herself has more than fulfilled the expectation of her friends with a clear and comprehensive view of her whole field of action. She's carried out her plans with good sense and vigor, which are a part of her character, while her cheerful optimism, her determination to see the best in every situation and in every individual have created around her an atmosphere of sunshine that (laughs) adds to the happiness and well-being of every member of the large family. Is that amazing? I mean, Mm. this is a woman who had prejudice thrown at her, who almost had her whole education derailed because of prejudice, and yet she is not bitter. She is not angry. In fact, she's full of sunshine. Yeah. And she's kind, and she's cheerful and optimistic. I mean, when I was reading that, I was like, Oh, I would have loved her to be my doctor. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and really, I feel like for a lot of these women— they had to have that perspective and have that makeup mm-hmm. that I'm going to see the Lord's hand in this no matter what. I'm going to look through beyond this, you know, current situation and this oppression that I'm facing. You know, because I think it would be really hard to look beyond the rejection, yeah, the persecution, and the prejudice of people. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's like hard. That's like going through a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And nothing lasts than the Lord could help. I, I was reading about one of the girls who was chosen during the Eisenhower era, one of the first girls, when they decided to integrate the schools, in mm-hmm. fact, I'll be talking about her, her name's Indiana, on a, another episode. But she said if it wasn't for the Lord and her grandma's godliness, she never could have done it right? because of all the prejudice. But anyway, Rebecca, her focus when she had that home was really about the children. I mean, she got along well with the women and she treated the women, but she loved, 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 loved the children and working with the children. And she wanted to see these children arise and be educated and make something out of their lives like she had. And I love that she wants the same for others that she had. Rebecca fought against the ignorance of her time. And this is what she wrote. Hosts of the poor are attended by young, inexperienced white physicians. They inherited the tradition of their elders, these white physicians. And let a black patient cough, they immediately have visions of tuberculosis. And they heave a great sigh of relief that one more source of the contagion is removed. Because during her time, they were blaming the African-Americans for tuberculosis. And so that was another reason that she worked for hygiene because good hygiene could prevent tuberculosis Mm. and, again, help with the prejudice against the black community. In fact, a lot of white people believed if they were around African-Americans, they would contract um, tuberculosis. So So crazy. All her life, Rebecca fought against prejudice and for good hygiene and prevention of disease, poverty, and injustice. 
Again, it's said that she was a Quaker. Nobody mm-hmm. knows for sure, but by the little that is known about her and because she worked with the Blackwells and went to a Quaker college, they believe Very that she likely, was Quaker. Very yeah. likely, mm-hmm. yeah. By 1910, Rebecca was back in Philadelphia and serving as the head of a home for the homeless. Mm. So she always cared about the impoverished. And, and again, it was when I was reading about her, it said that she um, was rarely paid mm. because the people just could not afford to pay her. And that's why she— worked at these institutions because these would allow her to work and to help these people and yet have enough money to survive and continue to help people. I mean, they really were missionaries. They were. Having to live by faith. You're not Mm -hmm. getting money coming in from these patients. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So she died on August 14th, 1922 at 76 years old, having practiced medicine for over 50 years. Wow. That a girl. So I know that a girl is is exactly 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 right. I'm it's just wonderful. so so proud of her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I as I said before, I would have loved to have had her as um, as one of my doctors. Yeah, you know, I know she would have been amazing. Yeah. When I came across these women, because you know we were thinking, oh, maybe we'll slow down the medical. Maybe we've exhausted it, and then all of a sudden I found all these doctors, and especially these women. Uh, who were um, black female physicians and right. some of the first. And yeah, you had like, a little jackpot. You had to go yes, get into that a little bit. These are definitely <laughs> women worth knowing. Oh, definitely. And again, if you know a woman that we should know about, it could be your mother, it could be your cousin, somebody who's ministered to you and meant something in your life. We'd like to highlight different women each show. So please write us. You can email us, wwk at cccm.com. And please like us on whatever device you hear this podcast. Yes, please do. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.